0: Hello and welcome to the Big 12 Country Podcast, where four guys in jockstrap will be covering college football and providing content and HSOs from around the Big 12.
1: Everybody, welcome back to Big 12 Country Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Corey. We're here tonight with uh Colin. Hey guys, Brady. Hello. And uh we're doing the uh Big Twelve Country back on the recruiting trail series that we're starting off tonight. And it's gonna start off early with TCU. And uh we're gonna talk to the host of the Frogcast uh website, and his name is Jeff Mitchell, and we got Jeff here on the line. Say hello, Jeff. Hello,
2: hello, nice to be with you guys.
1: Good, good. We're glad to have you on too. Thank you. No um, how how'd your, uh, how did signing day go for you?
2: Well, you know, I felt pretty good all things considered about the frogs in this class. They, uh, were projecting 13 or 14 commits just cause we were going to take such a small class back as the season started. But through attrition and injuries and transfers, we were able to go up and get 21 commits and we felt pretty good about it. We went all in on some big names early on and we didn't land them, but that was, They were both early enrollees, so we were able to kind of cycle through, do what Patterson does well, which is land some big horses, but you know, go down and mine through some of the lesser-acknowledged players that are still going to be able to contribute in the Big 12. And I felt pretty good about this class.
1: So your overall impression of this class is it went pretty good for everything?
2: You know, I am. It's got the most offensive firepower that I think any TCU class has ever put together, and then the defensive side of the ball landed what we needed. We got three defensive linemen, one of which is a Juco transfer who is 24 years old. He might be 26 by the time he's playing his senior year. Wow. But we landed um, George Ellis out of Florida, Ezra Tulaula from L.A. Harbor Junior College, as well as the, the big commit that I was really excited about was landing Corey Bethley out of uh, Katie in Houston, a big powerhouse down there, all three of those guys at 300 pounds able to kind of clock things up up the middle yeah
1: bethley's an impressive kid
2: for sure he hey, sure is <clears throat> jeff this is colin um
0: as far as the uh, the quarterback in the class sean robinson it do you think he's the most important piece in the class that's coming in and in your opinion can he actually challenge for the job this year
2: he is the most important piece coming in because you know now that things have started to come in we got everybody in the in the in the barn this recruiting class we do not have a lot of depth at quarterback in my opinion you know Kenny Hill has one more year uh Foster Sawyer has transferred and we got a couple other guys that that have worked hard and and but just haven't seen the field and weren't able to get an opportunity probably because I'm not sure quite sure they're able to cut it but Sean Robinson is coming in and they have really high expectations that they're not p- apologizing for for him. So he could start next year. In an ideal world, he would redshirt and be ready to go when Kenny Hill graduated. But if he is, um, if he's the man, I don't think they're going to be shy about giving handing in the ball and handing in the keys to the team because that is a that is the best quarterback we have ever signed out of high school. You know, 16 and 0 in in, in Texas 6A. They were the number one, number two team in the country by the time the season was over. And some of the passes he was able to make were unre- you know, just unreal. And he's got legs like Boykin and a huge arm. So I would not be surprised if, if Sean Robinson is playing next year. But he is clearly the bell cow of this class.
0: Right. And that's what I was going to say is he's, he's getting a lot of comparisons to Boykin, especially with – With the throws he's able to make and also the ability to throw on the run. So he seemed like a really important part of the class to me as well.
1: Real quickly, since we are on the subject and you brought up Kenny Hill, we were just kind of wondering, do you feel we've seen Kenny Hill and he is what he is?
2: You know, I got to go find it. I think it was was a year and a half ago when it was announced that he was transferring from A&M. You know, one day when I should have been working, I went and watched all of his highlights from A&M before he kind of tailed off there the last four or five games. He's got great legs, as we all saw. Can throw a great screen pass and maybe a pretty good out every now and then. Kenny Hill cannot stretch the field, and that was what made Boykin so strong. Was he could stretch the field to you know Dachson and Listenby, who are both in the NFL, and then he could use his legs. Kenny Hill has good legs. He can't throw the ball deep, and we paid for it this year. So you know, is he going to be able to throw a forty-five yard rope on the run next season that he couldn't do the last couple of years? I don't, I don't think so. But he still was a productive quarterback at times. He just knew how to throw an interception at the worst possible time. It was like mm. clockwork. So you might be able. What you saw might be what you got. But even with some improvement, he, he TCU also led the country in drop passes. And so there's part of that that we do, uh, we do recognize has to have some improvement. I think his recruiting class will help. But yeah. to answer your question, yeah, we probably saw what Kenny Hilton can
1: Okay, that's what I figured. I was just curious if that was about all we were going to get out of him. Yeah.
3: Right. Hey, Jeff, it's Brady. Uh, I had a question yeah. with the wide receivers. Um, I mean, your wide receiver class was was pretty impressive for me. Uh, I thought Rager and Manning were two of the better wide receivers in the 17 class itself. Um, what do, What do you think their projection is for this year? Are they going to be able to see the field? Um this coming season and and what kind of impact do you think they'll make?
2: I would, I know Rager is going to see the field. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think Omar Manning probably will as well. Um, And then the guy that doesn't get talked about as much is, is Rager's teammate, Kennedy Snell. And, you know, I've had people that I really trust say that coaches schemed more to shut down Snell than they did Rager because of just his ability to be, you know, just he's like a, he's like Turpin in in terms of you just watch the film and he gets the ball and he makes three guys miss and he's in the open field and he's gone. So I would not be surprised if all three of them are making some kind of contribution to the team next year. And I think the reason that they were able to to rope those three guys in is wide receiver is wide open at TCU next year. I think there's going to be a potential to play. We did not have quality wide receiver production last season, and I think. Any of those three guys could, could be starting or making a major contribution to the team. And I think it's about the best, one of the best combinations of wide receiver in the country in terms of just getting two amazing guys, three amazing guys. And the one one more we did pick up was Eldontre Davis out of Louisiana. He was an ESPN top 300 going into his senior year, but he broke his foot. And it looks like he's going to recover and be just fine, but he ended up committing tcu on signing day out of the balloon nobody knew who he was and so he's the kind of guy that'll probably red shirt but he's going to be somebody big 12 fans will probably hear about in a couple of years so that's yeah. four really good wide receivers coming in that i feel really positive about
3: yeah i've watched a lot of film of of rager and manning and rager i mean what he's able to do in the open field is pretty unbelievable i thought he had some really impressive film out there on his on his highlight reel
2: Um, he did, he does, and, you know, I know there's some Oklahoma fans here. I can't believe we flipped him from Oklahoma. I know that playing with Snell was a big deal, and we wanted to take both of them. Omar Manning, I cannot wait to see us get in the red zone and just throw it to that deep corner and see what he can do with the ball because his ability to high point and adjust with his hips to kind of block off that corner, I think he's going to be a dangerous weapon in the Big 12 for, for three or four years, hopefully.
3: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Rigor seemed to flip to just about every Big 12 team going through the whole process. I <laughs> think he
1: started out. Yeah, well, n- never grew. Kansas.
2: He was never committed yeah. to Kansas.
3: Well,
1: <laughs> so. what shocked me yeah. the most about that was he flips to TCU after Oklahoma goes down to Fort Worth and beats TCU on the same weekend of oh, the I, visit. I, I... Like, that, like, that's what shocked me the most. I didn't see it coming. I thought, nah, he's going down there to the visit, but he ain't going to flip right now. You just saw him beat him. You know, and lo and behold, there you go. He flips on the, after that weekend. I was like, wow, okay.
2: <laughs> you know, on, on I can't remember the kid's name. I think it's I think it was Carlos Strickland. He was from out of North Dallas, and he was down to TCU in Tech. And he came on an official visit to TCU the weekend we put 82 on him back in in 2014. Mm-hmm. The next day he committed to Tech.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess that's how it goes sometimes. That's just the way it goes. If you understand recruiting, please let me know. Yeah.
2: Because it's never linear and logical. Yep. You,
1: you, you can't. can't predict 17-year-olds. No. Can't do it.
2: No, you can't.
1: <clears throat> was Was there a player in this class you feel you were kind of a little surprised they signed, whether you thought they may go somewhere else, or maybe you thought they weren't quite up to snuff for this group of players? Anything like that? Somebody you just really didn't see it coming and it happened?
2: Well, you know, a couple of players there. I can't believe we held on to Omar Manning yeah. because everybody around him wanted him at Texas, and mm. it was it was heavy lifting that that Curtis Looper did to keep him in the fold. Coach Looper, who had he'd been on staff at Auburn, he's been on staff at TCU for a couple of years here now. He really just locked down um, Omar Manning, and everybody around him, from what I understand, you know, even his coaching staff at Lancaster. They wanted him at Texas. The, the Texas beat riders were talking about expect to flip. People I trust said expect to flip. Mm-hmm. But the two guys I trust the most in TC recruiting, uh, Jeremy Clark and Jeremiah Glenn, said it's going to be a battle, but we're going to hold on to him. And they held on to Omar Manning. So that's the one that I really couldn't believe we were able to because we've been losing those battles for mm-hmm. a long time. You know, mm-hmm. I know we have held on to some, some highly rated kids, but I've seen this story before. But the other one was probably Corey Besley because he had. I don't know his situation with Oklahoma because he canceled his official that last weekend, but he did have a real offer from A and M. A and M wanted him bad. He stuck with TCU over A and M and that's a huge deal for us. And so for him us to hold on to Bethley, I was I was really pleased with that. That's the kind of big guy out of Houston that we need to be able to reach down and hold on to. And we
1: did. Yeah. Bethley's an impressive kid. He I mean he just that's you know, that's the kind of kid you see on some major defensive lines at powerhouse programs across the country. He's going to – I think he's going to be a pretty good one. The dude definitely I think has so the so size. Too. Yeah,
2: my favorite clip of him was I think it was an extra point that got blocked and he scooped it up and ran it all the way back 98 yards. If you want to watch <laughs> the big man chug him down the
0: side.
1: Wow, that's a lot of man moving down the field.
2: That is a lot. Nobody wanted to get in front of him. I, wow. Guarantee.
1: Wow. I guarantee you I wouldn't. I would have been taking out his ankles maybe. That's about it.
2: You're going to jump on No, I'd be like, just let it go. Look at the scoreboard and make a choice. Yeah. <laughs>
1: is it worth dying over two points or, you know, whatever they end up, yeah. whatever it was, they, he was blocking? Go ahead, Colin.
2: No kidding.
0: Uh, Jeff, do you have any sleepers or just a, a sleeper that you want to mention that's offense and defense?
2: Yeah, there's a guy that I cannot believe did not get more recognition. His name is Garrett Wallow out of John Curtis in New Orleans. He is a combination old, – old TCU fans will remember this. He is like a combination of Tank Carter and, and a guy that played safety named uh, Marvin White. My favorite hit ever in 22 years of being a TCU fan is Marvin White laying out this guy from Tech in, 20, in 2006. Garrett Wallow looks like a combination of them. He's 6'2", 215, and he just plays like every play. Somebody said his hair on fire. And put a sparkler under his armpit, and he has to go do something about it. He is a machine, and you you know there's a play where there's a bubble screen, and he takes the blocker, and he shoves him into the runner, and trips them both up, and then tackles the guy with the ball. I mean, like he he is designed to play in the Big Twelve. He is designed to play in this in this defense, and he had some pretty quality offers, but not not the quality offers that I thought he should give. And so when he locked into TCU, I was so excited because like this is a guy under the radar three-star, we reached into the, into Louisiana and held on to him, and I thought, man, why isn't Arkansas or Mississippi State or, you know, one of these other programs trying to get him, I think he's going to make an impact right away.
1: Yeah, that's a, that kind of similar to a player Oklahoma got, Jakari Daly in Florida. That was the same way we felt about him. They reached into Florida and got him, and he just, if you watch his film and everything, he seems like he should be a lot more higher rated than he is, and it's just like nobody hardly paid any attention to him, so yeah, we can kind of relate to that, too. Um, uh, yeah, he
2: played safety. They're going to bring him up probably to play linebacker, and he's he's going to be able to cover ground in the four-two-five as a linebacker. Mm-hmm. But he he will not he will not be concerned about stepping up and filling a hole.
1: So he'll be kind of one of the smaller hybrid linebackers that you would see like a nickel in some places, something like that. Um, what's what well, how's he, uh, what's his size? Do you know?
2: Yeah, he is six-two-two um, fifteen as a senior.
1: Oh, okay, okay, that's a pretty good sized kid. So I don't Come see any reason
2: he won't be able to get up to two twenty-five and and play with some, some speed.
1: Yeah, and if for some reason they didn't want him to, you, you would think that frame could hold even more weight if he had to move a little more inside, too. So,
2: Yeah. Well, I think what he, he'll he be able to do, um, like Traven Howard is is a safety that we just have playing linebacker out of need, and I think he's going to be a little bigger than Trayvon Howard and, and have just as much speed and be able to get to the ball right where it needs to be.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: All right. Uh <clears throat> next up, so you kinda talked about a player that's underrated. So do you have a player that, that you're not really high on that might have been a little overrated that you that you think might have been rated a little high for TCU? You
2: know, I don't you know, I don't know, I feel like a traitor even mentioning these things. Um I wanna see what Dennis Collins can do. Not because I don't believe in him, but he's got that body type where he's six two, about two fifty. Plays defensive end. He's out of West Monroe, Louisiana, which has has produced some great players for us. So I just I don't want him to be you know just a little. He's, he's going to be. T- I'm, I'm just curious to see how his body fills out, whether he's going to be able to play defensive end or not. I'm I'm pretty confident that he will be able to, but that's just somebody that I'm going to keep an eye on. Okay. <clears throat> um.
1: Uh, I did, I have to cover TCU as one of my teams on the on the league here, and um, when mm-hmm. we were doing our review shows not too long ago, and uh, the one thing I kept coming back to when we were talking about, you know, kind of success and where they're going to be hurt, players leaving, all that kind of stuff, um, you know, it looks like they're going to get a lot back on offense. They should be doing pretty good there, pretty, you know, really good quality wide right receivers and, and all that, most of the offensive line. But the one thing I kept coming back to is they're losing Carraway, McFarland, that pass rush, the defensive ends, also the, the uh, tackle, uh forgetting his name off the top of my head, but the tackle. Yeah. Um, no. Aaron Curry. Curry, yeah, yes. Played, Curry, yeah, yeah, he played defensive tackle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, they're losing that, and that's, you know, I don't see a lot there behind him. You know, you got Bowman, the kid that came out of Trophy Club last year. Um, you know, mm-hmm. players like that, but we don't know anything about him yet because we haven't got to see him play, but he was a really high-talented recruit. You know, them and OU fought with him to the end. But do you see any players in this class – that you felt like and just step in, you know, maybe not right away because maybe that's a little unrealistic, but, you know, maybe by the end of this season we'll start seeing the pass rush come back to him and all that because without a pass rush in the Big 12, you're in trouble. So I'm yeah. just kind of curious what you thought. If there was a player in here you thought could kind of help with that. You
2: know, there are going to be some holes in the defensive end, McFarlane and Caraway gone. Um, Matt Bozen, who was a junior college transfer last year, um, had a pretty strong second half of the season. And so I think he'll he's, gonna, he's already on the roster, but he's going to fill in and be just fine there. Um, honestly, the, the holes that need to get filled along the front are hopefully the, someone, one of the guys that you mentioned and a few others that signed last year. And so Bowen, the, the kid, he had been committed to Baylor until that, all of that happened. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up in Fort Worth. So I could see Bowen having an impact. Uh, Isaiah Chambers out of Houston, 260-pound defensive end, four-star last year that we were really excited to land. He redshirted. Both these guys redshirted, as well as Ross Blacklock, who was a four-star defensive tackle that we beat A&M for last year that committed at the Army All-American game in San Antonio. Mm. Those three guys will will just be redshirt freshmen, but two of them are going to have to do something significant on defense next year. In order for for our defensive front to be able to have some some push, and they're, they're big, they're freaks. I think you know, Blacklock was like 325 when he got on campus, and he's probably going to weigh 325 now. It's just going to be moved around a little bit, hopefully. But I, I think I think from 2016 is where you're going to see the holes get filled on the TCU defensive line. And if we're leaning on the guys that just committed yesterday to fill some holes on the front of our defensive line, we we might be in a little trouble.
1: Yeah. I that's kind of what I figured. I mean, just, you know, I followed the recruiting just overall close enough that I figured last year's class would be important. I just didn't know if you guys felt like, you know, if, if anything else, I feel like some of these guys could be solid. Like Bethley could be a solid backup maybe, but um, yeah, I kind of agree. If you're leaning on these guys right away off the, right out the gate, you might be in trouble. So.
2: Yeah. But Ezra to the the older guy that I mentioned, the duco transfer, he, he's got an amazing story. Actually, he was, he graduated from high school. He went on an LDS mission for for a couple years. He's 24. He's got a wife. He's a big, big man, and it's, and you know, you can say that you know, being 315 is 315. There's a big difference. I'd rather get in a bar fight with an 18 year old than a 25 year old. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and true. so I yeah. think I think this guy's going to bring not only some some maturity and leadership to the locker room. Because he's really done some significant things with his life, I think he's going to be able to bring some push on the defensive front, and I would not be surprised to see him um, make an impact right away in the in the front four. The other guy that will um, that I, I expect to make an impact is Alex Bush, who was also a Juco, uh commit that that signed. He's not going to be on campus until June, but he was you know defensive player of the year in his conference out in L.A. We've reached out West to pick up some JUCO kid, Alex Bush. Just um, keep your eye on that name because his film looks pretty sharp to me. Okay, he's going to be playing linebacker.
1: Okay, yeah, that 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 is a little more reassuring because I just. You know, it's a lot of mystery there. You know, some of these guys were highly recruited, but you just don't know what they're going to do. And there's just some key spots that are going to be opening up on that defense, um, on a defense yeah. that kind of, in my opinion, kind of underperformed last year for what it had on it talent Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, and
2: it was in the trenches. You know, Patterson mm-hmm. has has all but said that. Yeah. It's it's been down front. You know, I mean, like you you go watch. I don't want to watch them, but if you go back and watch the second half of the Oklahoma State game, the Kansas the Kansas State game. We, you know, I think we're winning or like within a point of both teams at halftime, and it just like folded up up front in the second half. We've had Mm. no control up front, and and I think we're going to have, I think that's going to change this year.
1: Well, in the Georgia game, too, you saw the depth come into play, I thought, where they just got whipped after the four quarters. Where I mean, I thought DCU outplayed them for a lot of the game. And then in the fourth quarter, just... I was
2: sitting in the fifth row of, the, of, of, Liberty, of Liberty Bowl. <laughs> yeah. I will agree with every word of
1: that. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like they kind of got, after a while, they got whipped and they didn't have any bodies left. You guys, and as far as I can tell, I could be wrong. I went over this. If I'm wrong, correct me. But looking at it, you didn't sign, at least coming out of high school, nobody that was designated as an offensive tackle in this class. Does that concern you with Collins leaving early? And as far as I can tell, Niang being the only guy that backs him up at right tackle?
2: You know, I was curious. We took two linemen. I know we were trying to make a push for a third down at um, towards the end of signing day. Quizelle White, who is who we reached out west to get, um, Patterson mentioned in his press conference, he's probably gonna move to tackle or has the potential to move to tackle. And so, you know, Niang is gonna made some contributions this year. He'll probably start next year. And then the guy that redshirted this year was our high one of our highest rated recruits last season, Austin Myers out of Houston Manville. I have a feeling he's going to be able to to make a contribution next year. We have got a couple other young guys that'll be redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore that I think are going to be able to contribute at the offensive line. But yeah, it was curious that we took two. I know we, um, I know we took a swing and a, took a swing and a miss on a couple for a third lineman down the stretch, but we didn't land them. And I'd rather not backfill on the offensive line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's just my uh, last question about the class there, Colin. You said you kind of had one more question wrapping things up.
0: I uh, do, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Jeff. This is not recruiting. Related. Go for it. <laughs> uh, as the as the OSU person on on the call here, I had kind of a vested interest in this question. But you know, earlier kind of right after the season and everything, we had the the stuff break with Meechum going to Kansas. Do you have any idea what was going on there? Was it just kind of maybe time to move on from the the co-offensive coordinators so they kind of moved on or, or what was going on with that situation?
2: Yeah, I, I can talk about this. I mean, Jeremy Clark, who covers the Frogs, is better than anybody, was on our podcast last week, and he just said it, so I'm going to quote him. It was probably time for Meacham to go, and he maybe didn't get along as well with the coaching staff as um, – it, the, it was, there were some chemistry issues. Right. There were clearly some play-calling issues. We had every fan in the world a better offensive coordinator than the guy in the booth making a million <laughs> bucks, of course. But of course. we there were some serious concerns about play-calling. And then I think it came down to the fact that we didn't want to lose Sonny Cumby. He is he is the future. I mean, if you mm-hmm. guys that are OU fans dream about Lincoln Riley taking over mm-hmm. when Bob Stoops leaves, we want Sonny Cumby to be our next head coach. I mean, that's probably um, a frog given. And so Meacham, it it was time for him to go. He had done what he came here to do. We were grateful for it. But um, Cumbie Cumbie was calling plays next year whether Meacham left or not. And I don't think Doug was going to be able to handle that.
1: Yeah, he just – I mean, just kind of glancing at the whole thing from the outside and it's something I hadn't really thought about until he left, but kind of looking back, he just never looked really all that happy. And that may be Meacham. That just may be his personality and his expressions, but he just never looked like much of a happy person while he was there. Yeah, you know, winning
2: winning makes everything look great, and so I know it covered up a lot of a lot of uh, uh, problems maybe in the in the past couple of years, maybe some chemistry issues get glossed over when you're when you're winning. But th- this last season, I mean, if you look at Patterson, I, you could just tell he was frustrated with this past season for yeah. a, for a lot of ways. But
1: Definitely. if
2: you only put what was it, twenty four points on Texas Tech. I mean, at home, that, that defense was like a tissue, and we couldn't do anything <laughs> with our offensive weapons against them. And I think I think everybody was, was able for an amicable divorce, and it happened, and we're all going to be better for it. You yeah. know, Doug wants to be a head coach. It ha- hasn't happened yet, and everybody in Fort Worth wants Sonny Cumbie to be there for a long time.
1: I can't blame you. I mean, Cumbie's a, a great dude. And, and to me, the whole co-coordinator thing, it just, to me, you're asking for trouble with that and anything, because no matter what you do, it's never really truly core co-coordinator. Somebody's going to be getting the play calling, which is going to make the other person feel like a lesser person. It's just, you're, one person isn't going to have as much control as it's going to feel like, you know, out on the field. And to me, you're just asking for trouble with the whole core co-designation code anyway.
0: Right. I just, I yeah. just wanted, that's kind of what I had thought. I just wanted someone from with, with, your perspective on it as a TCU, someone who covers TCU to kind of give their take on it. And that's kind of what I thought as well.
2: Yeah. I think think everybody's, I think it was a good move for everybody. I agree. Because the backstory is old miss wanted to hire Sonny Cumbie weeks ago, long before Meacham left. And he came to, you know, the two threes and Patterson were talking and basically Patterson's like, I'm not going to lose him," And so, however, the debate is when the decision was made that Cumbie was calling the plays. But I think as soon as he hung up the phone with Hugh Freeze, metaphorically, Sonny Tumby was calling the plays in 2017 because they were not going to lose him. And I think that's kind of what started the ripple effect.
1: To me, Patterson looked like he had a rough year. I mean, everything just kind of looked like a disaster on both sides of the ball and went nuts. Do you feel like this was, you know, are we going to see this more going forward? Because we're not used to seeing Patterson lose that much control over the team as far as how, how successful it is. You know, he's had this is the
2: third um, losing season. And in 2004, they came back in 2005 and went, you know, lost one game, opened the season at Oklahoma and beat Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And so that was, we, we were able to have a big bounce back from that. In 2013, of course, they go four and eights. The next year, go 12 and one, you know, barely missed the playoff. So everybody's kind of expecting something like that. We've had a one loss season following a um, uh, 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 losing season for Patterson. So I you know, I don't know if we're going to bounce back with the one-loss team, but I feel really confident that Patterson is not going to let this slip under his watch. I mean, I, I don't want to, like, lay the weight of the world on the guy's shoulders, but, you know, realignment scares me to death, you know, changes in the retraction in college football in terms of everybody wanting, like, 40 big powerhouses scares him to death. And I don't think he's going to let that all of this work slip in the last five or seven years of his coaching tenure. So yeah. I, I, I project a lot of strength for next year. I, I anticipate, um, you know, a, a, a cohesive team with strong leaders, that P- Patterson's hands are all over. And so I do not expect that to be the case next year. And I think the other thing that we haven't, that nobody really has talked about or wanted to talk about is, it took us a couple of years to learn how to recruit in the big 12. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about this was our fifth year, those first few classes of 2013 or 2012, 13, maybe even 2014, th- there's just not a lot of gold in that group. And so the guys that really propelled us in, in 2014 and 15, that was just a, in a, it, it was not an anomaly, but it was a collection of people that um, Patterson and Meacham and company knew how to get the most out of. And then we've had to recalibrate how to recruit, how to get players, in the big 12 to want to come play here. And I think we got a pretty good handle on that going forward. So I expect that we're going to be able to see better results in the field from the recruiting that happened in 15 and 16 and 17.
1: Okay. Okay. That's, that's a good answer. Cause that, I mean, I know, you know, now that I have to cover him, but just following them closely over the years through mountain West and everything else um, you know, he's just been a, he's been a model of consistency a lot like Bob has been at Oklahoma uh, you just, you know, just wins and constantly 10-win seasons and, you know, winning big bowl games and all that, even to the point where the fan base may even take it for granted some sometimes. But it's just weird to see yeah. this kind of what I would call an anomaly type of year from a team that honestly I felt like would be much better because of all the experience they got because of all the injuries in 2015. So, you know, I yeah. I just expected to see a much better team. So that that's, a, that I mean, that's probably reassuring to a lot of fans. And I, I just can't see things getting away from them two years in a row like that, so. Um, no, it's it's never happened. I yeah. mean, that's the
2: short answer. It's it's never happened. Yeah, and so I don't I don't think it's going to happen this time. And I, you know, it doesn't mean we're going to bounce back with a one loss team. But I, I think I think we're going to be in a really good. Now the schedule is a pain next year. We have, you know, it's a bipolar schedule that we have. So we're on the road at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Kansas State, and Arkansas. That's that's not the easiest uh, set of games to play. Yeah, but I think we're going to be good to go.
1: Okay, well, we thanks thanks for coming on, Jeff. We really appreciate this. Um, you know, we, if you don't mind, you know, maybe we can have you come on in the future and do talk some more TCU and other things outside of recruiting. That sounds
2: great. I'm, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to talk recruiting. I'd love to talk about the frogs. I follow the Big 12 as close as anything. So anything we want to talk about on that front, I'd be glad to share with you guys.
1: Okay, well, thanks, man. This this was a, a lot of fun. We really appreciate it. It's really I know I learned a lot this show about TCU that I didn't know, and I'm the one who has to cover them for the show. So
0: <laughs> well, it's it's always nice to get an insider's point of view. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all covering this from Oklahoma. We're not. I mean, we're we have a general knowledge of some of the teams, but it, it's nice to have that inside look.
1: Yeah, and you get to focus on one team. I have to focus on three. So, yeah. So yeah, that's that. That's a lot. Uh, that's a lot of information. We appreciate it. I mean, this was a lot more educational than I thought it would be, and uh, hopefully, we'll get to talk to you down the road.
2: Awesome. Well, I'm glad we exceeded expectations. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thank appreciate you. it. Right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank well. you. All right, guys. That was uh, Jeff Mitchell. He is the host of the Frogcast. Uh, you can find him on tw- on Twitter at the Frogcast, uh, T H E F R O G C A S T um they have a little podcast going on about TCU uh that was a really insightful interview uh, on TCU uh we learned quite a bit on that do you guys enjoy that
0: yeah it was it was pretty good a lot of you know like I like I told Jeff it's nice to have an insider's take on on the teams that maybe some of the other team uh fans of other teams in the Big 12 don't get a lot of information on
1: yep I mean uh, you know that's uh, way more information than I get on the internet about TCU so uh Brady did you enjoy that
3: yeah, it's always nice to get a a deeper dive into a program. Somebody who, you know, keeps track and has a lot of a lot of inside information.
0: Yeah, I did. Uh, I, you guys did hear Brady get the tissue out when he was talking about Jalen Rager,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, I was Bro, like, I was like, "There's no way Brady's gonna be able to stay silent about this. He's gonna get upset here in a minute." And he points out about them, and then like he just kind of dismisses you know, Oklahoma's role in the uh, trophy club. You know, like, he didn't even bring that up. He was talking about, you know, Brandon Bowman being a Baylor guy, and he didn't even bring about Oklahoma, you know, basically fighting them out because that's what was going There was a day where we, right down to the end, we thought he was coming to Oklahoma, uh, Bowman. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought Brady would be like, what the heck, man, Jalen Rager. You know, I thought he would go off about I do that. I did too. Well done, Brady. All right. Anything else we need to discuss before we get out of here, TCU-related or otherwise?
0: Nope, just, guys, uh, stay tuned. We have all the other – should have all other nine teams coming up.
1: Yep. Oh, by the way, since I'm not going to get to do it, um, the, te- the uh, Iowa State people, I apologize if you listen to this one. We had to move it back. We had a little mishap with the guy that's going to come on and share it with us. So, uh, just hang in there, everybody, and uh, we'll be back pretty soon with another set of these uh, podcasts on teams. Uh, until next time, everybody say bye.
0: See you guys. See
3: yeah. ya.